Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hey everyone, I actually have two things that I had to add to the beginning of this episode. The first one, and the most important one, is I'm adding a major trigger warning to this episode. This episode deals heavily with suicide. There is a lot of talk of suicide in this episode, especially when it comes to Mackenzie and Mackenzie's segments. And if that is triggering to you, I ask that you please just maybe skip this whole episode. There's a lot of talk in it. And if you need help to please, please, please reach out. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number, if you're in the United States, is 1-800-273-8255. If you need help, please, please, please reach out and just please be aware of the triggering nature of this episode. Hey, everyone. I spent the first literal 20 minutes of this episode just talking about me and my personal life. So if you want to skip ahead, I suggest you do and you go to, I believe it's like 21 minutes and that's where I start talking about Teen Mom. Also, I got a new mic stand and I'm realizing while editing that you can hear rustling in the background. So you won't hear me moving my mic around, but you will hear my bed sheets rustling. Please bear with me. I will figure this out one day. Hello. Hi. Hi, everyone. It's me. It's me, your old friend. Liz, your old friend Liz Bentley. I apologize for last week. Here's what happened. Okay. Everybody, I want to set the scene for you. I ordered last week a mic stand. Um, I mean, I've had a mic stand. It just was like a thousand pounds and you could hear it every time I moved it. I know, like, I know that was a thing that was happening, but I didn't know how to not have that happen because I thought that the microphone itself was a thousand pounds and thus could not be put on like a, a, a portable boom mic thing. Uh, I finally figured out that I could do that. So I ordered one. It did not come with directions. (laughs) Why, why would it come with directions? You know, like why would there be a website with directions? So I spent, I don't know, an hour figuring that out, setting it up. I'm like all hyped like, oh my God, this works. This is great. We're doing great. Great job, Liz. Then I record an entire episode, a long episode, over an hour and a half for a solo episode. That's quite long for me. My solo solo episodes usually pop in at like 1.15 and I remember saying at the beginning, I think this is going to be a short episode, but it turns out I had a ton to talk about. I remember finishing with Mackenzie's mom's death and talking all about how lovely I thought MTV handled her passing, how beautiful I found her last moments. I was crying, like really not just like tearing up a little like I often do, but to the point that I had to pause recording so that I could cry for about 10 minutes, then come back. I ended the episode being like, oh my God, this is so sad. I need to go take like a half hour break and just like readjust. I just was very, I was very sad. I found, you know, I found Angie's last episode to be really beautiful. I, you guys know I criticize Angie a lot, right? I have a lot of trouble. I had a lot of trouble with Angie's parenting, but I have always respected her faith and her strength. And I thought that that really came across in her time on MTV. And I thought MTV did a nice job paying tribute to it. I thought, oh, how nice it will be that her family forever will have professionally produced footage of her mom for like the last almost two years of her life. I guess the last year 
I don't remember when they filmed that being Angie special, but from then on, you know, they have a lot of footage of Angie. And while it might not be perfect, it's, I would imagine that's pretty special to have. So that, so I end the episode, I'm crying, I'm like upset, I just was feeling really sad. I go to, I, I like edit the episode, I go to put in the uh, intro music and I like, can, well I guess I have a Mac now so I do like command O, nothing happens. I'm like, that's weird. The rest of my computer's working fine. Audacity, as far as I can tell, is working fine. Like I said, it was letting me edit. It was letting me do everything. I just recorded a whole fucking long episode on it. I was like, that's so weird. Why won't it let me open? And I, like, tried a couple times and it didn't let me open. So I was like, okay, I'll just export this and I'll shut Audacity and I'll reopen it. <laughs> oh, no, you won't, Liz. Because it wouldn't let me export the fucking episode. And so this is when I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. So I go to copy the episode because you, Audacity can copy and then put it into a new window. And it let me copy it. I could see, I was even like uh, cutting it to like really ensure that I was like, you know what I, you know, when you cut something, it like takes it away. Yeah. Everybody knows how to use a computer, Liz. Um, so I even cut it to like make sure that I was really picking it up on the clipboard or whatever and it worked. And so I was like, okay, this is fine. I'm just, <laughs> just going to shut down Audacity and copy this right in. So I shut down Audacity and oftentimes when I kind of force quit Audacity, it will, when I open it back up, it'll be like, do you want to restore your project? And I'm like, yeah. So I was like, maybe that will come up. <laughs> of course it didn't. It only comes up when I don't need it. Only. <sighs> so I was like, okay, that's fine. It's still on my clipboard. Copy paste or control paste. No, didn't work. I try to open up GarageBand and copy it in there. Nope. Then I go, I'm like, well, let me see what I do have pasted. And I just like open up a random thing and I put paste in and it's just text that I had copied before. So it actually didn't copy. <laughs> then I'm Googling how to restore Audacity files. Turns out Audacity saves all of your files in five second clips. <laughs> there is a program, but, or there was a program, but I could not figure out how to get said program to work on my computer. So that episode was lost and I lost my mind. I was like really crying hard for like a full hour over it. I was really upset like to the, I, I think what, I think I was just already so upset from the Angie stuff. I think I was really feeling like a type of way, if you will, and just was so bummed that I lost this file and I was like, I can't record this again. <laughs> I can't. I just can't record this again. There's no way that I can record this again. I don't know. I, it's just like I'd put my heart and soul into this and I was tired and upset and crying. I just couldn't do it again. So I didn't put down an episode. <laughs> that is the first time that's ever happened to me. I actually, knock on wood, have been extremely lucky with my audio. I really haven't had many audio technical difficulties in my podcasting career. I like really lucky and 
yeah, this means I should learn GarageBand, which I think I'm going to do this week. I'm going to, like, finally sit down and just teach myself how to use GarageBand. But, man, guys, <laughs> it was not easy. It was not easy. I had a hard weekend last weekend. Uh, yeah, that's really it. That's why I didn't record an episode. Anyway, how is everyone? Nothing's going on in the Team Mom world. Nothing, but I mean nothing. What's going on in our greater world? <laughs> nothing. My county extended, well, not just my county. The governor of Pennsylvania extended most of the state's stay-at-home orders till June 4th, which, I don't know, guys. I don't know. I, like, I feel so scared of the idea of anything opening back up. <laughs> Like, so scared of the idea of it that I'm fine with extended stay-at-home orders, but I also just feel like the uncertainty is very scary. I don't see how we'll be back to normal by June 4th. It also means, like, no Memorial Day weekend, which is sad. <laughs> and I, like, keep looking. I bought, like, in February-ish, I bought a bunch of stuff. <laughs> this is this is the dumbest complaint, and I do understand this, okay? I bought like a few things. I bought these two jumpsuits. I bought like a this sweater and I was like, this will be so perfect for the boat over Memorial Day and in June. Um, because at the New Jersey shore, it is not that warm. I mean, it's warm in June, but at night it's still chilly. I bring a light sweater everywhere. I'm a, living in Florida. If one thing living in Florida taught me is that like you bring a light sweater everywhere because it's freezing inside every place in Florida. And I used to get so mad when I would go like out for dinner or whatever with my friends and they'd be freezing. I'm like, where's your light sweater? You fucking idiot. You knew it would be freezing in here. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, so I like bought stuff like specifically that I was like going to wear on the boat on evenings in May and June. <laughs> and that will not be happening. And that makes me quite sad. <laughs> Julia says maybe in July <laughs> was her answer. She said, maybe you can wear them in July. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I hope. I'll be, I mean, I kind of feel like we're not going to have a summer at all. I guess unemployment-wise, I'm fine through the end of July if I can continue getting, you know, the extra 600 Federal Care Act money or whatever. But after that, it will be tight going. <laughs> I don't know, everyone. I just, like, I'm in a mood. Yesterday was my six years sober anniversary. I'm not feeling that reflective this year. <laughs> I'm just not. I actually, some a listener sent me a really nice message and was like, can't wait to hear what you have to say about your six years. And I was like, I don't know if I have anything to say about it. I feel really grateful, of course. I'm glad to be sober. Can't imagine what this would be like if I was actively using um, or in early recovery. That would be really shitty. I'm glad that this happened five years into my sobriety because I can be bored and I know how to live and manage my life. Um, and I have my own program that's not dependent on going to meetings in person. So I'm really grateful that this quarantine would happen then, but like it sucks. So my anniversary lines up with my AA home groups anniversary. So they do like the group's anniversary and they do a huge meeting. And before the meeting, we do like a party and we have all this food and it's super fun and it's nice. And like, so that I'm just like sad that that's not happening. Sad that I'm not able to physically pick up my coin. My best friend in Florida sent me a coin, which we always send each other coins uh, for or give. 
started is giving each other coins for the four years that we were together, living together. It sounds like like the four years we were together, once I actually posted something about five years for her, some a date for her and a picture of us. And I, my, one of my cousins that I'm not, like on my mom's side of the family, my cousins are much older than me. And we don't really know each other very well. And one of them commented like this thing that I, I'm pretty sure he thought we were celebrating our, an, our romantic anniversary, which was very funny. I didn't correct him. Whatever. What do I care? If somebody thinks that we were dating, she's beautiful. So honestly, if anybody thought we were dating, like, good for me. <laughs> but we always, we would give each other coins um, when we were sober, or not sober, when we lived together and lived in the same place at meetings. And then once I moved away, we now send each other coins. So it was nice. She sent me that. I had a nice dinner with my family last night and... I don't know. I'm just not feeling that positive. I'm not feeling, I'm feeling actually what I'm feeling is like, I guess, more apathy, which is, I think, to be expected. I mean, we're in a global pandemic, right? <laughs> I feel, I'm feeling drained. And so the, I, since I'm like not able to do my normal anniversary stuff, it doesn't feel that exciting. It just, just feels like, another day, to be honest. It really did feel like another day. Although I'm obviously happy and proud of the fact that I'm, I've been sober for six years and I think it's really great. And I would say one of the best things about being sober is the ability to do this podcast and that I've been doing this podcast since I had three years sober, which is crazy. I've been doing this for so long, right? Or did I get, if I started this podcast in 2017, And I got sober in 2004. I guess I've been doing this podcast since I had under three years sober. Because I got sober in 2014. That's crazy. And I started this in January 2017. So I celebrated three years on this podcast. So the fact that I've been able to mark my journeys. Is that right? I really, math like really eludes me. Math and time (laughs) really elude me. But I think that's right. Because that means if I... (laughs) I got sober May 8th, 2014, 2015, 2000. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Oh my God. But yeah, so I've been doing this podcast for a long time. And the only way that I was able to do this podcast was in sobriety. I can't imagine what this podcast would have looked like if I tried to do one when I was getting high. Um, I mean, maybe I could have done it. I just don't think it would have been as good. I don't think it would have been able have as much self-awareness and reflection as I do now. And it's been really great to be able to share my journey with everyone that listens. And the messages that I've got from people that have said, you know, you inspired me to go to a meeting. You inspired me to re-examine my drinking. I got to meet somebody that says like listening to this podcast helped her to reflect on her drinking and she decided to get sober in the rooms and that's really fucking amazing. <laughs> that's really amazing. I I can't believe that. Honestly, it's been that's a really cool journey or a really cool thing that I've been able to do. Although I won't be like Amber Portwood and be like I got people sober because I really don't believe that to be true. Like I in my heart I don't believe that I I got anybody sober. That's not how it works. But if my words and my experience and my story can make people examine the way that they are 
using substances in their life and then they can, you know, decide to make the choice, decide to make the choice. They can, they can decide that they want to stop drinking because of something they heard on my podcast. Like that's pretty amazing. I feel very lucky to have this platform and very grateful to have this platform and really just, I just feel so happy. Um, oh, another thing I want to talk about is that I've talked about, like, I am going to grad school. I'm, at least as, at least as of now, I am enrolled in classes for the fall semester. I'm taking three classes. I, I don't know. You can take two or three. I decided to do three, but I was talking with the advisor and she said that if three is too much, I can definitely drop down. I'm very worried. I haven't been in school in such a long time. I've never done school without Adderall. <laughs> might have to go see a psychiatrist and get on a non-stimulant ADD medicine because I do have unmedicated ADD and that's hard. Um, so I'm really nervous about my, how school is going to impact my life. And I know it's going to be really hard, but I also don't know how hard it's going to be and how much time it's going to take up and what that's going to mean for this podcast. And that's going to start in the fall. So we'll see. I might move to every other week. I might do every other week, but not necessarily talk about Teen Mom and just talk about Teen Mom a little, but then recap something that I I want to talk about more. I'm not sure. We'll see where it goes. Um, I might stop the podcast altogether. And that's not because I want to, but because I am about to pay a shit ton of money to go <laughs> get a co- or college degree. I, ha- I do have a college degree. I'm about to go pay a shit ton of money to get a master's degree, and that's going to have to be my first priority for three years. (laughs) You know, for the three years that it takes, I want that to be my first priority. I'm making this choice so that it can be my first priority. So we'll see. And I know Princess is going to send me a text and be like, why are you telling people you're going to stop your podcast? But I just, I don't know, because I don't want it to come out of the blue if if it happens. And I hope everybody will understand why I would have to make that choice. But I don't want to give this up. I really don't. I want to find a way that it will work for me. And that may be every other week just talking about life and my life and ask me anything and stuff like that. Like things that I I don't have to do like notes. You know, like because a part of the big reason that this takes a long time, not a long time, but like I have to take notes for every episode. I have to pay attention to a bunch of stuff during the week. really have to prepare. Um, So it adds on to the time that I spend doing this. So Maybe if I can do Ask Me Anything or I could just pick a topic to talk about that doesn't require a ton of research every other week. But I definitely do want to keep up this podcast. But I also feel really grateful that I've gotten to a point in my life that I can go back to school. And that <laughs> that's going to have to come first. It really is. And I'm I'm excited for it to come first. At least I am now. And I don't, I don't know if I've talked about this, but I'm going to go get a master's in social work. I think I talked about it on AMA. I don't know if everybody listens to those. I'm going to get a master's in social work and it's really important to me. And I think my end goal is to be a licensed clinical social worker. So also like, I don't know how much I, you know, like (laughs) we'll see how much I want to put out there once I'm in school and making a career move. So We'll see. It's, oh my God, I've been talking for 20 minutes. I bear, I haven't even mentioned to you, Mom. <laughs> oh, I guess I'll put in my show notes. <laughs> One thing before we get going, I just want to quickly plug my Patreon. I fucking love doing my Patreon. 
patreon.com slash Liz Bentley. If you're interested, I have had so much fun doing it. Talking about new topics every week is just so refreshing. In the last two weeks, since I haven't been on here in a while, I talked about the show Unorthodox. I had my best friend Thea on to talk about the show Unorthodox. It's my favorite podcast episode I've ever done. She just came back this week and we talked about Jesus Camp. I have a really good episode with Cara Berry on Caroline Calloway that I think is like gold standard Caroline Calloway content if you're interested in Caroline Calloway, which you probably shouldn't be, but you may be if you're like me. (laughs) I did an episode on the show Okay, it's called Gypsy Sisters. However, I don't use that word, and I consciously do not use that word. So throughout the episode, I called it G-Sisters. I did an episode on that. I have another one on my big fat G wedding coming up. I fucking love that show. I love that show. I did an episode on YouTube, on the Vlog Squad. I have another YouTube episode coming up next week. I am putting out a ton of content. I really am putting out. It's $7 a month. But I am putting out four to five episodes a week. (laughs) About four episodes a week is where I am. And that includes one episode on Sister Wives and then basically three episodes on anything. I did one on Real Housewives in New York, season two with Brandon Alvarado, who is the Dunzo podcast, uh, Housewives correspondent. Uh, Princess and I talked about Christy from Intervention, which (laughs) I love and it was so good. So yeah, if you are interested and you're bored, and you need more podcasts, and you can spare $7 a month, come on over to patreon.com slash Liz Bentley. If not, I understand. I'm still here every week unless Audacity crashes. So let's get on with this show and talking about Team Mom right after a quick break. What an episode. Here's the thing. They should not have brought Mackenzie McKee onto TV. Okay. I know I said that I found (laughs) that MTV handled Angie's death very well. I know that I found that MTV really paid a nice touching tribute to her last few days. I really believe this to be true. I do think it's beautiful and extraordinary that her family has this footage of her last days. However, I, and I said this, if you go back and listen to episodes when they were like kicking around casting Mac McKee for Teen Mom OG, I said, I don't know if they should bring her on because I think it's too dark and I think she is too vulnerable. I have always thought that Mackenzie is very unwell. Uh, She has a lot of mental health issues and I've always felt like this is going to be too dark of a journey, her mom dying. Well, no, not her mom dying, because like I said, I found a lot of beauty in the way that they showed her mom dying. Her mom post-death. I always knew that this would be really, really hard to watch. And I, guys, okay, I found this episode of Team Mom OG McKee's segments to be, like, almost like they, I don't know if they should have aired it. Something about watching this, like, made me feel so upset, so depressed. For anybody that doesn't know, if you're a new listener to Feathers in My Hair, or you just forgot, like, Mackenzie McKee has had a long, long, long history of depression. She has always had, like, major clinical depression. She has never really been able to accept her diagnosis. She is always struggling, and she has a lot of mental health issues, and unfortunately, she's also had suicide attempts. And they say that the number one indicator for a completed suicide 
is uh, like a past suicide attempt. And the fact that Mackenzie has past suicide attempts, attempts and is openly talking about killing herself in this episode, trigger warning, suicide. Oh my God, I should have started with that. Okay. Whoops. I've totally forgot to start with that. Okay. <laughs> this episode has a big trigger warning for suicide. Mac McKee is openly talking about suicide on TV in this episode in a way that I found very scary and sad. So if suicide is very triggering for you, I would suggest skipping ahead to the next segment. And if not, carry on. But Mac McKee has long talked about her depression online. She has openly talked about the fact that she attempted suicide. Her postpartum with her son Bronx was so bad that she says that she was thinking about drowning herself in the bathtub. At one point, Josh, she gave an interview, but then, (laughs) I don't mean to laugh, but this is kind of very Mackenzie. She gave an interview saying that Josh told her, like, if you're going to kill yourself, just don't do it when the kids are here. Um, Which, after watching this episode, really tracks She then tried to be like, no, I never said that. But, like, she gave an interview saying that. And I think what we see with Josh in this episode is that he would say that. And Mackenzie is just despondent in this episode. It is hard to watch. Like, I really just think it shouldn't have been on TV. I don't think she's going to want this on TV for the rest of her life. I think that MTV is probably just showing the truth of her mental state. Oh, Mackenzie also in the past, she's like morally against antidepressants. She's been on antidepressants, but then would go on these tirades about how you need to get off your antidepressants and just pray away your pain and that God will heal depression and that you have depression because you don't have enough faith in Jesus. Like she's that type of person. I don't know if she's ever really been to therapy, even though she has a long documented struggle with depression. That's the type of situation we're looking at, if if that puts anything into context. I feel like watching this episode for anybody would be very hard, but if you don't know the history of Mackenzie, it might not be as shocking. But I was truly shocked watching these scenes, and I want to read what Mackenzie tweeted on Tuesday. Is that what night the show was on? On Tuesday, ahead of the episode premiering. She said, I'm so anxious for tonight's episode to air. I'd rather not have to relive this and hear everyone's opinions. This is so hard. They filmed so much good stuff with my mom, with Josh and I, and all that's shown is the worst of the worst. This is not who we are. And I keep my house so clean, especially when filming. And they decided to make a huge point tonight to show how messy the boys room was one month after my mom passed, like cleaning with something that's on my mind. Uh, my heart hurts that it's even going to air. Josh dropped everything he had and was, had him was doing and moved in with my dad for over a month to help out and support us was there as best as he could be. None of that will be shown in honor of her, but a fight will be shown. This very episode of her funeral, I'm sick to my stomach, and this is why I'll never be able to rewatch the last footage that was shown with my mom, because it wasn't the beautiful life I had about I had with her. It was damn drama with Josh. Okay. I have so much to say about this. I'm not sure where to start. I guess I'll just go through these one by one. One... When Mackenzie says that she's so anxious for tonight's episode to air and she doesn't want to have to hear everyone's opinions. I can totally understand that. That's why I would never go on reality TV. That's why it's almost even hard to have a podcast because it can be very, very hard to hear what people have to say about you. 
However, I'm not really sure why Mackenzie continues to make the choice to go on reality TV, especially Mackenzie, um, compared to the other moms that have been doing this for a million years. Mackenzie could be very anonymous if she wanted to. Mackenzie, since Team Mom 3 has ended, has made a conscious choice to remain a influencer. I mean, she was really influencing before we called it being a social media influencer. She, over the last, I mean, when did Team Mom 3 end? If Gannon is eight or eight-ish. So Team Mom 3 probably ended six years ago. And for the last six years, Mackenzie McKee has been, no, it had to be longer than that because I'm six years sober. Whenever the fuck Team Mom 3 was went off the air, Mackenzie made a, has made a really strong effort to retain fans, to retain social media fame. She has always used her pages to sell. In the Snapchat days, she would post literally like eight minutes of snaps a day. And you know how long eight minutes of snaps is since certain 10 minute segments. I would just like click through them and it would take me, even if I wasn't like watching them, it would still take me like three minutes to fully click through all her slides. Like she's always tried to stay relevant. She's always tried to stay online. She's always tried to make social media her business. And unfortunately, like with that comes criticism. And that's why it's always, um, it's just been hard to hear celebrities, I'm using that term, influencer, whatever we want to say, talk about how they don't want to hear anything about their lives when they're actively choosing to put their life online. Although I understand that Mackenzie's in a particularly sad place and I do have a lot of empathy for that and I feel for that. Okay, next one. They filmed so much good stuff with my mom, with Josh and I, and all that is shown is the worst of the worst. This is not who we are. That I don't really get because I feel like they actually showed a lot of good with her mom in this last season. I mean, I had a lot of shit to say, but I think in general, if you watch this last season with her mom, her mom isn't involved in drama. Like, her and her mom's relationship looks fine. Like, I don't know. I just feel, I just feel confused. She feels like it's only about the drama because I'm like, well, what show did you think you were joining? <laughs> like, she didn't really think this show was just going to be about her and her mom's beautiful relationship at the end, right? Like, I don't know. I understand this is grief talking too. By the way, I want to make that very clear. Mackenzie is still so raw. Her mom hasn't even been passed for six months yet. Like I would imagine in five years, she may look at this differently, but I can only break down the tweets that she's releasing today. But I do want to make it clear that I very, very much understand like that it's been six, that it's been less than six months since her mom passed away. And she's still probably not even close to being in a stable state of mind or place. So she's not looking at this from an objective point of view. And that I totally get. Also, when she says that is not who we are, it's like, I think that is who you and Josh are. (laughs) Like, I, I think it is. This is who you and Josh have been since teen mom three. I would say actually not 16 Pregnant. If you go back and watch her 16 Pregnant, Josh and Mackenzie are like shockingly in love in that episode. Maria and I did did that episode uh, years ago at this point, but there is definitely a Josh and Mackenzie 16 Pregnant recap somewhere on my feed. And if you listen to that, I remember being shocked watching it because they like didn't fight. They seemed very happy with one another. They just were stupid kids, but they seemed very happy with one another. And I think I may have even titled that episode like Josh and Mackenzie actually loved each other because I was so blown away by that episode. 
But since Team Mom 3, this is how they have been acting. This is who they are. This is what we've always known them to be. And that's not from, like, speculation. That's from what she has chose to show, na- show us on social media and also what MTV has shown us. Also, whatever happened to Josh's, like, crippling opioid addiction that was they talked about in the Teen Mom Season 3 reunion? I feel like I'm the only one that still remembers that Josh was a drug addict and then it's just, like, never been mentioned again. <laughs> okay, so Mackenzie says, And I keep my house so clean, especially when filming. <sighs> Mackenzie, no, you don't. We, like I said, we've been watching you on Snapchat hours a day, and your house is always a fucking mess. Always. It's okay. Not everybody has a clean house. That's fine. She has three wild children. Like, but her house is always a mess. Always a mess. I bet if you Google search, like, Reddit Mackenzie house messy, like, a bunch of posts will come up of screenshots from her Snapchat showing how messy her house is when she's trying to do stuff like film workout videos. Okay. And when she's like, MTV made a huge point of showing how messy the boys room was. I'll be honest. I didn't even notice that. (laughs) I didn't notice that at all. But it's also possible I just like didn't see it because I was taking notes or I wasn't looking at that exact moment when they showed it. But I, I didn't notice that. And I don't think anybody's going to be mad that her house is messy I think that's a weird thing for her to latch on to, and I think that's probably an example of her grief speaking. Okay. Josh dropped everything he had and was doing and moved in with my dad for over a month to help out and support us. Was there as best as he could be. None of that will be shown in honor of her. Okay. There's a lot to unpack here. One, while I commend somebody moving in with her dad to help, because I'm sure he needed the help. I find it very odd that just Josh went because who was helping Mackenzie? Who was helping Mackenzie raise those kids? We see what Mackenzie is like in this episode and she can barely get out of bed. So was Josh the one that made the most sense to go over and be there for her dad? I think that's weird. I mean, I guess it's nice, but I can't imagine that Brad needed Josh more than Mackenzie did. Because it seems like Mackenzie really, really needed Josh in this episode. And this is a month out. So what was she doing when Josh was living with her dad? I don't know, guys. I think that's weird. And I think that there's probably more to it. As in she maybe kicked him out and then let him come back. Because we see that they do that literally all the time. I just, I can't imagine that Mackenzie was in a state in which it made sense for Josh to go take care of Brad, even though, like I said, I think it is, if that is what happened and Josh went to take care of Brad, I do think that is really lovely. And I do, when she says that's the best that Josh can do with helping, I believe that's probably true. Um, That like going and physically being there for Brad was like all that Josh could do because we see that he cannot emotionally be there for Mackenzie. And I do think that there is like a beauty. And if that is Josh's, ability that he was able to go help someone with that because he probably couldn't help his wife. But I think that that speaks to a much bigger issue. Like, why wasn't he at home with his kids taking care of his kids so his wife could lie in bed and cry because her mother just died at 49 years old? You know, like, I, 
that I, it just confuses me, I guess is what I'm saying. I, I don't want to put a value judgment on that because we don't know. So I don't want to actually say that's good or bad, but it's confusing to me. I'm confused. Uh, when Mackenzie says, was that, was there as best as he could be? I mean, that's it, right? That's the problem is that Josh cannot be there for her because Josh has the depth of a wood board. And Mackenzie, while not smart, because I don't think, I think Mackenzie at her heart is pretty dumb, unfortunately, much like Kate. Like, I don't think Mackenzie is very intelligent, but I do think that Mackenzie has a lot of depth to her. And I think she's someone with a lot of emotions and I think she has some real valleys in her emotionally. And she is with a partner that has the depth of a wood board. And so she, he can't give her anything that she needs, anything. And it's really hard to watch. And if the best, after your mother dies, after a two-year devastating battle with cancer, and you have three little kids at home, and the best your husband can do is to move out of your house? I don't know. And once again, I think it'd be one thing if Mackenzie was an only child and Brad had no other family, but they have a huge family, remember? There are four kids. They're all married. Angie and Brad both have siblings. Like, there are a lot of people. They were also very tight. They're very big in their community. They had a very tight church community. It's just, to me, it's like, did it have to be Josh? I guess is my question. Like, it, it had to be Josh, the person that is probably needed the most at his house, and he can't be there for her. And so the best way he knows how to help her is to physically remove himself from her home. <sighs> Mac. She can do better. And it's sad. it makes me sad that she thinks she can. Um, she says, none of that will be shown in honor of her. My question is, is that they didn't, it seems that they didn't film that entire month. So I'm not really sure how they show that. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, these are obviously grief tweets. And so I, I think I'm scrutinizing them too hard, but I also think the point of this podcast is to scrutinize things too hard that don't necessarily deserve the scrutiny. <laughs> oy, 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 oy. Uh, okay, so she says, I'm sick to my stomach that they're going to show this fight on the episode of my mom's funeral. I actually think that what they're showing seems very real, like very real. And while I am at, I understand and emphasize with Mackenzie and it being very hard to watch and her just wanting this show to be a tribute to Angie, I think that if that is what she thought, then she came in with very unrealistic expectations. And I'm also not sure why she continued to allow them to film while they were having that fight if she didn't want any of this shown. She could have ripped off her mic back and been like, get the fuck out of my house. I need to fight with my husband. <laughs> you know? I... I just, this show was never going to be a tribute to Angie ever. That's not what this show is. This show is not a loving tribute show. This show is about drama and fights and problems and relationships and everything that comes along with it. And while I do think that the last episode they had, you know, with Angie, they didn't show any of Mackenzie and Josh fighting. Instead, they showed Mackenzie being incredibly strong the way that she talked to Gannon about Angie not coming back home from the hospital, I thought was beautiful. I thought it was beautiful. I thought when they had the family standing on the front lawn singing Amazing Grace, I sobbed. I sobbed. I thought that was so touching. 
I thought that was a beautiful way to pay tribute to Angie. I thought she would have loved that to see her family come together and to sing a, what are they called? A hymn? Is Amazing Grace is a hymn, right? Yeah, I'm sure it is. It's probably not. But to sing a Christian song for her and then to have a, what they called their final prayer for Angie, I thought that was a beautiful tribute. I thought it was beautiful that her mom got her house paid off how she wanted it and that, oh, like, that they were able to do that, which I did donate to. And I hope that you guys did too, if you saw it when you were listening. Actually, I mean, I don't hope. Everybody can donate how they want. But I felt happy to donate to that. And I was glad to see that they were able to get the house paid off for Brad. And I had a lot of, like, when they were able to tell Angie and she, like, had barely energy but was able to say, I love you. Like, I thought that was all very beautiful and respectfully done. So, like, I can't really get behind Max Gripes with this episode. Like, in context of, like, saying that MTV is doing Angie wrong by showing this. That's what I can't get behind because that's not what this show is and that's not what the show has ever been. And it also rings a little hollow for Mackenzie because it's not like Mackenzie came into this show when she was 16 years old and has just been on it forever and like kind of doesn't know what to do without this show and has no ability to make money without this show. And like a lot, she's not so locked into this show like the other girls are. That's what I mean by that. And Mackenzie, you know, in the last six years could have gotten a steady job, a regular job, and not ever come back to TV. And then she wouldn't have to be dealing with this. She's the one that chose to come back to TV and show her fucked up marriage along with her mother dying. And she made that choice really consciously. While, yes, she was on 16 Pregnant Team Mom 3 when she was very young, she came back to MTV when she was like 25 or 26 with many years not on TV anymore. And so it's hard to feel like Mackenzie, you had no, it's hard to feel like she had no clue what she was getting into. And now it's just been totally bamboozled and MTV totally sold her like the wrong, like, you know, it'd be one thing if this, she just like got on a new show called, called Rest in Peace Angie and instead of showing Angie's journey, which MTV promised her the show would be about, all they do is shit on Josh and Mackenzie's relationship and show that and barely show Angie. Then I would be totally on her side. MTV would have been the snake. But, like, we know what Teen Mom is and we know what type of show it is. And I don't really know what Mackenzie expected this to be. And, like, Mackenzie brings her husband on the show and joins the show And agrees to do a second season knowing that her husband cheated on her, that she hates him, as she said, and that they're on the brink of divorcing. And I mean, and her and Josh have been on the brink of divorcing every day for the last four years. So you come on the show with that marriage and then you're mad that MTV is showing it, even though that is what this show is about? That's where she loses me. Although I will say that I'm giving her, I don't feel anger about this. Like when I hear someone like Amber or Kale complain about MTV and complain about this show, I feel like they're genuinely bad people and they, like, I feel angry about it. Angry feels like too strong of a word, but I think that's right when I'm like yelling about Amber. 
with Mackenzie, I feel very sad by this because I think this is absolutely her grief talking. And I do think and hope that with some time, she is going to be able to see what she's really mad. Um, oh, and the last tweet with it saying, and this is why I'll never be able to rewatch the lost, the last footage that was shown with my mom, because it wasn't the beautiful life I had with her. It was drama with Josh. Yeah. Once again, this show isn't about teen moms and their parents. It's just not what it's about. It's never been about that. And if that's the show that you wanted to shoot, you could have done it on your YouTube channel where you have full creative control. Mackenzie is just, she's just sad. And I want to point out specifically a comment that somebody left on when I posted those tweets, feathers underscore pod, come follow me on Instagram. And I thought it was really spot on and I want to give them full credit. Okay. Kiss, kiss Liam, Kessel Liam. I'm sorry. I don't know how to say your name. <laughs> Says, I wonder if she'll ever realize that what she's actually saying is Josh ruined the last few days with her mom. Yes, I... <laughs> I would say more than a few days. I would say it is so clear that Mackenzie is so angry that Josh and her divorce drama was playing out when she should have been focusing and spending time on her mother. I think that that's clear as day. I think that she's not necessarily mad at MTV. I think she is mad at Josh and should be mad at Josh and probably mad at herself and very mad at herself for staying in a relationship that sucked out so much energy that she now feels like she could have been giving towards her mom. Now, is that true? Is that real? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Maybe if they were divorced, she would have had even less time to spend with her mom because she would have had the kids around all the time. But I think it's very clear that she's just so angry that during these last moments of her mom's life and the last months of her mom's life, instead of just focusing fully on her mom, she had all of this shit going on with Josh. And she hates Josh. Josh. She hates Josh. As she has openly told us. Like, openly told us multiple times. And I think it's just all mixed together in her grief-stricken mind. And that I have so much empathy for. I honestly, after this episode, like, I wanted to go drive to Oklahoma, to Miami, to Miami, Oklahoma, get into bed with her, and, like, put on Bravo and just, like, snuggle her. (laughs) I felt so fucking sad for her. We're going to get to that. I have to put an ad in right here, but then we're going to get to what actually happened in Mackenzie's episode and not just her tweets about it right after a quick break. Today's episode of Feathers in My Hair is sponsored by Best Fiends, a mobile puzzle game perfect for entertaining while staying home. Best Fiends is a game you can play right on your phone and is designed to be played by anyone. Best Fiends is great because the puzzles are challenging enough to be engaging, but you don't need to be some sort of serious gamer to play. The bright colors of the interface are totally pleasing to the eye, and I love to collect the cute game characters as I play. Best Fiends is a true sanity saver while I hang out at home. It's a perfect game to play while I watch a reality TV show for, you know, the 100th time. I've made it to level 150 and truly can't stop playing. Best Fiends updates their game every month so it never gets stale. You don't need internet to play, so it's the perfect game for those of us currently dealing with slow Wi-Fi since everyone in our house is working from home. (laughs) Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. 
So in this episode, they start off by showing us Angie's funeral. It's really lovely and touching. They had it at the school that she taught at. I know they live streamed it, but I didn't watch it because that's sad to me. I thought the things that they said were nice. You know, I really liked that one of the person that they showed speaking was emphasizing that Angie did not lose a battle with cancer. Ugh, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> so, okay, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to start crying. But it was a really nice, touching funeral. I'm such... I have such a sad, soft spot. They're crazy. So my... In eight days, actually. Well, no. Seven days. In a week. In a week will be my friend Allison's, what would have been her 32nd birthday, and I've been thinking so much about her, and I've been really sad. I just want to share this quickly. I've been really sad. For those that don't know, my friend Allison and I had been friends since we were five, and she passed away from complications due to a iron disease that she had in which she overproduced iron and was supposed to be getting her blood basically dumped out of her body and wasn't, and she had a massive heart attack at 29 and a half years old, and it, we had been friends for 25 years and it was dev, like absolutely devastating, truly life changing for me. Um, it was so fucking sad and I've been really thinking about her so much lately because her birthday, well, our birthdays are coming up. Our birthdays are two weeks apart. It's like we just, our birthdays were always like latched on together and it just makes me really sad. And so last week, I guess on Sunday, I was thinking a lot about her and I, um, got on YouTube and my first recommended video was this Ben Fold song underground, but this specific live version of it that my brother had put onto like a mix CD at one point that ended up in my car that Alice and I loved. We thought it was so the best version of this song. We loved it. It's like it has audience participation in it in a very funny way. And I, I haven't heard that song in years, years and years. I mean, I did used to watch it on YouTube occasionally, and I had, like, the video. So it's not like it came out of fucking nowhere. But I haven't even listened to Ben Folds probably in four or five years. Like, I, I haven't heard this song in so long. And it came up, and it was my first YouTube recommended video. And I was just like, Allison. And I, like, posted on my Facebook, like, thinking of you, Allison. Like, you're always sending me signs, and I appreciate it. Just like that. Like, it just, like, really, it made me feel good. I was like, oh, because I've been thinking so much about her. So I post on my Facebook, I literally like minutes later, I leave my house to go to the grocery store and I'm sitting at a light by my house and my windows are down, which I rarely actually have my windows down in my car. Uh, this is a silly reason, but my first car that I had for over 10 years didn't have automatic windows. <laughs> so, and I don't like the feeling of just having one window down. So I just usually never really rolled my windows down in that car and so now that I have a car with automatic windows, I still just am in the habit of not rolling down windows. But that day, I happened to have my windows rolled down, and I hear someone, like, yell, like, Liz! And so I turn my head, and it's Allison's brother and his very long-term girlfriend sitting right next to me at this light. I mean, we live close to each other, but we have never run into each other before. I mean, the chances of us running into each other when I'm leaving my house, like, once a week, I, oh my god, like... I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, holy shit. I was just thinking about Allison five fucking minutes ago. Like, I really, I, I, it was the craziest thing that's ever happened. Like, I drove to the grocery store and just, like, sat in my car and cried for a while. It was, I don't know. It just, like, meant so much to me. It meant so much to me that, like, I would see that song and then I would see her brother. <laughs> 
I could not believe it. It was like, Allison, I see you. Thank you for that sign. It felt really nice. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's, I don't know. Why am I telling this story? I don't know how I got here, but it was just like such a special moment. It, it like, just thinking about it gives me chills. Like just hearing Danielle, his girlfriend be like, Liz. And I like look over and I was like, holy shit. It was just so crazy. Speaking of tomorrow, I need to order flowers for her mom because I send them on her birthday every year. Um, I don't, I don't know how we got here, but, uh, she took a month off and she's trying to get back to her normal life, which is, I can imagine very, very difficult. She goes with a friend to get a pedicure and her friend is asking like how Josh is dealing with this. And she says not very well. She says that on her way there, she called Josh crying and he said, how am I supposed to help you if you don't know why you're crying? And her friend looks horrified. Her friend is like, oh my God. You can tell her friend does not even know what to say. And that is a crazy thing for Josh to say as well, because what does that mean? He doesn't know why she's crying. She's crying because her mom died a month ago and she's devastated. Oh, as I said, I think the main issue in their relationship, this has always been the issue in their relationship, is that Josh, for whatever reason... Are the drugs part of it? I don't know. Remember the drugs? Remember the drugs? I feel like I'm like the person that's like, remember drugs? Remember when Josh was addicted to drugs? <laughs> Maybe it's the multiple concussions. Maybe this is just who he is. But Josh has a complete inability to access his feelings. And I think as a result, has a complete inability to comfort Mackenzie or deal with feelings. I genuinely think that it's hard for him to have empathy for Mackenzie because he does not have very many feelings. And that he doesn't understand what she's going through at all. And he doesn't know how to be there for her. And I also think he doesn't particularly want to learn or put in the effort that it takes to feel, to make somebody feel better. I mean, to say like, I don't know what to do for you because I don't know why you're crying. It's not, it's really not good. So the next scene, Josh McKenzie are at the house with their uh, producer. I don't know what that producer's name is. And the producer is like, so is everything good right now? And I know she's talking about Josh and Mackenzie, but Mackenzie's like, no, my mom died a month ago. <laughs> God. Mackenzie looks exhausted. And this is what I mean by I just want to like snuggle her because she just looks so tired. She's like a little baby bird with a broken wing. It is the saddest thing that I've ever seen. It's, she makes me, I like, I felt the energy leaving from my body watching this episode because it was so sad. And I was like, I need to take a depression nap now because this is so upsetting to watch. So they're talking about how everybody's doing and Mackenzie says, well, you know, I'm doing the best I can, I think. Josh says, like, some of us are doing okay and some of us are not. And he said, Gannon is doing pretty well, but Jaxie's really struggling with it. And then Mackenzie, yikes, yikes, takes this minute to be like, well, Jaxie is just like me, and she, when she wants to cry, she cries, and when she's feeling something, she talks about it. And Gannon, on the other hand, is a lot like you, Josh, and he doesn't, he doesn't feel any of his feelings, and he bottles it up, and it's such a bad thing, and like really trashing Josh in the form of like critiquing Gannon's personality. And I understand like what she was saying, but I also can understand why Josh got mad about it. I guess because it. I think Josh's point, because then he's like, well, are we talking about us or the kids? 
And I think what Josh was saying is like, if we're going to talk about us, let's just talk about us. We don't need to pretend like we're talking about the kids to have a conversation about us. And Mackenzie is like, well, you know, I'm trying to get better, but there's, she's like, I'm never going to be the same. And I, there's like, there, I don't have any hope that I'll ever get better, basically. And I definitely, I mean, she's just in it. It's been a month. She's in the thick of it. She can't, she can't see ahead at all. And it's, I understand that feeling and I don't want to critique it because I know that feeling. And I can really relate to that feeling that when I am feeling depressed, I feel like I have been depressed every day in my life, that I will never not be depressed, that I've never had a good moment. Once I was like in therapy and the therapist asked me to name like a happy moment for my childhood and I told her I didn't have a single happy memory. And I was like being dead fucking serious, like dead serious. And it's not that I don't have happy memories because that's not true. Like I did things I liked as a kid, but when I am feeling depressed, I'm like so unable to access that and like to access those emotions. And so I really understand where Mackenzie is coming from in this moment. I just feel so sad for her, like her life. And I've talked about like, I mean, we know that Mackenzie just worshiped Angie and she really, Angie was the sun and Mackenzie revolved around her. You know, there was, Angie was the end all be all. Angie was the alpha and the omega, 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 alpha and omega. And I really think Angie was Mackenzie's God. I know that sounds dramatic, but you know, Angie was the one that had all this faith and instilled this faith in Mackenzie, who Mackenzie has always struggled with it. Whenever you hear Mackenzie talking about her faith, she talks about how she aspires to have a faith like her mom. And I really think that Mackenzie really viewed, I think this might be a, I don't know, I might be speaking to AA right now, but in AA we talk a lot about making people our higher powers because AA is a spiritual program. I hate when people say it's it's not, and it's not about religion or spirituality, because it is. The 12 steps are based on spirituality, and the belief is that you cannot recover without having a spiritual program, and I, I personally believe that for me that I needed that, but I don't think everybody needs the 12 steps because not everybody needs spirituality. Okay, but we talk a lot in the rooms about making pe- like a person our higher power, and people are infallible, and so it always fails. And we, usually this is in the context of relationships, like romantic and sexual relationships, where instead of relying on a higher power, you just become very codependent with a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. But I think that for Mackenzie, Angie was her higher power. And I think that's true for most children, that their mothers or their parents are the higher powers. And part of becoming an adult is kind of growing out of that. But Mackenzie still, as an adult, seemed to kind of have Angie be her higher power. She talks a lot about how, you know, Mackenzie's a broken person. She's like a broken bottle. And Angie's the glue that holds her together, um, which is definitely a, a, a... I think that's an unrealistic way to look at any human because all humans are infallible. And all humans can let you down and all humans can make mistakes. So to be so reliant on one human to be the glue that holds you together as a person, it's a very risky situation. And I think Mackenzie is not just grieving for a mother like a child grieves for her mother. I think Mackenzie is grieving for something so deep in a relationship 
with so much depth that it's honestly a little hard for me to imagine it. Like, if my mom died, I'd be fucking devastated. Please do not get me wrong. I love my mom so much. But my mom is not the glue that holds me together. For me, the glue that holds me together is my higher power for a lot or the universe or whatever. And most people have their own thing that holds them together. And, you know, when we rely on humans to be that person, it never really ends up working out in the end. And case in point, Mackenzie is now without the glue that holds her together because people don't live forever. And now she has to figure out in her 20s how to live a life on her own. And I think that is so hard and so scary for her. And it makes me so sad to see. And I think that is part of like the extreme depression that we're seeing in Mackenzie beyond just the sadness that her mom and beyond just the devastating grief of losing a parent. I think there's some more shit going on with Mackenzie and I have so much empathy for her and I hope she goes to therapy so she can figure this out and work through it. And she can realize that her mom was not the alpha and the omega and her life still goes on without her mom. And that she loved her mom so much and valued their relationship so much and she can still hold that in her heart. And that she will be able to recover and that she may not be the same person. And I think that's okay that she'll never be the same person again because she has had something totally life-altering happening to her. But she can be a person and she can be a whole person. And I think that is kind of the basis of grief and like getting over grief getting over it is such a stupid phrase because you never get over it but the understanding that you can one day be a person that feels mostly whole again and you can one day be a person that is able to have relationships and have happiness in your life and I understand that in the moment that feels impossible especially with fresh grief but I really do believe that that saying that like grief is like an ocean and it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes and it it never leaves you, but sometimes the tide is out and sometimes the tide is in and you feel a lot worse and sometimes the tide is out and you feel pretty okay. And I think that with therapy and grief counseling, Mackenzie could get there and probably the proper medication for her major depression disorder. Like, I think she could get there. I think right now she has such an uphill battle and she's doing it all alone. And I think even if she had a wonderful husband, well... I wonder if she had a wonderful husband and a wonderful relationship, she would have been able to take some of the pressure, I don't want to say pressure on Angie, but she would have been able to maybe disconnect. That's Disconnect from Angie sounds horrible, that's not what I mean, but I think she would have been able to maybe establish her own immediate family, her own personhood a little more. I think her issues with Josh kind of just pushed her closer towards Angie being perfect and this idea that Angie was perfect, which we always hear her talk about how perfect her mother is, which I think we all know nobody is perfect and no mothers are perfect. And I just, oh, I just want Mackenzie to get help so bad. This is like a particularly heavy episode of me totally analyzing someone's behavior that maybe doesn't deserve it. Not that Mackenzie doesn't deserve it, but maybe I'm putting too much into this, but I really... I really do believe this, and I, I've been pretty closely following Mackenzie for a long time, by the way. Um, I really feel pretty strongly in my opinion on this, and if you disagree with me, and like I haven't lost a parent, so I don't want to pretend like I'm some expert on that, and if you disagree with what I'm saying, then I completely understand, and I am aware that I'm coming from a place of like pure speculation here, 
and like just pure maybe projection and just basing this on what I've seen on TV. And I do want to acknowledge that. And that if you are listening to this and you're like, this bitch is not a Ross parent. She's not idea what she's talking about. I think that's a fair critique of this. <laughs> I think that would be a fair critique of what I have to say in this episode. If you feel that what I'm saying is like not right and unfair and that I'm, but I hope I'm not coming across as harsh on Mackenzie because I feel nothing but sadness and empathy for Mackenzie. And like I said, I, I want to rock Mackenzie like a baby, basically. <laughs> like, she is so lovesick. Like, she is so desperate for somebody to show her affection. I think physical and mental affection. Oh, somebody get that bitch a word, a love language book and let her learn that her love language is words of affirmation. <laughs> And let her go find someone that can give her words of affirmation. Oh, that poor, that poor baby. That's how I feel watching this. I'm like, that poor baby. It just makes me so sad. And Josh is so awful. Actually, I don't, I don't know if Josh is awful. I don't know if it's fair to say that Josh is awful. I think Josh is who he, I think Josh is who he is. And I, I don't think Josh has any more to give her. And that's why Mackenzie needs to let him go. She needs to realize that he will never give her what she needs. And I think that the reason that she needs to let him go is because I think for Josh, with the depth of a wood board, that he is fulfilled at least a little bit by Mackenzie, even though she's not fulfilled by him at all. And he'll keep being able to give these, like, I'm trying, I'll try, I'll try platitudes because, like, he likes a wife that cooks for him and then he doesn't have to pay child support or any of that shit. Um... I think that he will never, I think that Mackenzie is enough for Josh and Josh is not enough for Mackenzie. And in those situations, the one who the partner is not enough for is the one that has to let them go. So Josh does suggest that she go talk to someone. He doesn't say the word therapist, but he goes suggest to talk to someone. And Mackenzie responds, something has to happen because something bad is going to happen if I don't. Josh says, just straight up, he says, are you talking about killing yourself? Because if you're talking about killing yourself, then I won't be here. He gets up off the couch and walks out of the house. I, this was a, honestly, a shocking, I'll use the word shocking. This was a shocking scene for me to see. Um, And she just sits on the couch crying. And she says, every day I try to talk to Josh and he just walks away. And if she can't talk to Josh, who does she go to? And I'm like, a therapist! You see a therapist, Mackenzie? There's somebody. You can pay somebody. You can. Somebody will be there for you. Ugh. So Jaxie comes over to Mackenzie, who's sitting on the couch crying, and she's like, I'm ready to go to the trampoline park, Mommy. And Mackenzie's like, okay, now is the time that I put one foot in front of the other. And she, like, braids Jaxie's hair, and she's like, I'm going to go get dressed. And then we find her. The cameras just find her laying in her bed. And I'm like, oh, she can't even get dressed. That This is too much. She needs a year off. Mackenzie needs a year off. And she doesn't have a husband that will give it to her. Honestly, at this point watching this, I was like, I I honestly thought to myself, Mackenzie should maybe go to a hospital. I was watching this. I was like, does this episode end with Mackenzie going to a hospital? Because I understand that this happened in January And we're watching it in May, but I was legit like, somebody should go check on Mackenzie because this is really scary. The the things she's saying are really scary. And Tomlin pointed out, because I was texting my group chat about it, 
and Tomlin agreed with me that it was extremely scary and she was like I wonder how often she's saying stuff like this because she just like casually says it on camera that she wants to kill herself and so how often is she saying it to Josh off camera (sighs) so she calls Josh and oh oh my god I don't know if anybody else noticed this but MTV pans to a sign that says I'll always remember us this way now is this a sign that Mackenzie found at Home Goods and thought that's cute and hung it up in her house? Absolutely. Is it also a lyric from the movie A Star is Born? <laughs> in which, spoiler alert, skip forward a few minutes if you don't want to hear me talk about this, in which Bradley Cooper hangs himself in this movie? Yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. I will always remember us this way is a lyric from the song that Lady Gaga sen- sings at the end. When she becomes a star is born after her partner kills himself. And then MTV, in the midst of Mackenzie talking about herself killing herself, pans to the sign that says, I'll always remember us this way. Oh! That was... That... That's how I feel about that. So Mackenzie calls Josh, and Josh is like, you're saying you're going to do something. I think at this point, as awful it is that Josh walked away, I think Josh isn't a, I think Josh doesn't know what to do, honestly. I think that's a big part of it. Josh, Josh is, like, not sure what to do or how to handle this. And he, like, cannot sit around and listen to his wife talk about killing herself. And my answer to that is, well, don't walk out the door. It's, like, maybe convince Mackenzie that she needs to go to the hospital. You know, like, the answer is not to walk away. It's to actually take her words extremely seriously. I, so in college, I took this class um, called Interviewing 201 or something. I think it was just called Interviewing. And it was actually done by a licensed clinic, clinical social worker. She was also an RN. She was extremely accomplished. I really liked this professor. And I wonder if she teaches MSW grad classes. Because it's, I'm going to the same school that I went, that I ended up getting my college degree at. I went to three colleges because I was such a fuck up. But my grad degree is going to come from the same school I got my undergrad degree from. And I was in her class and the, it was interviewing. So part of it was like teaching us interviewing skills, but the focus was interviewing on mental health. And like, um, I can't remember, this was years ago, but asking questions to get the correct answers out of clients basically or patients. And she talked, we talked, so we talked a lot about suicide and self-harm in this class. And she always said that like, if you have a patient or a client that is indicating that they want to kill themselves, if they're saying it, you are to take it seriously no matter what, even if you think that it might be, she said, even if it's for attention or even if they're not serious, like you should always treat every I want to kill myself phrase as like very, very serious. And I've always taken that to heart. And we talked a lot about like taking the stigma off of people threatening suicide and taking like how to talk to and react to people that are openly talking about killing themselves and how to see signs and people that are going to kill themselves. And we talked a lot about like, did you know that people kill themselves the most often in April? And that's because when the spring is like dawning upon upon us, like that's when people who are really depressed, like decide that they cannot live anymore. And so they're more 
people kill themselves in higher rates in April. And we talked a lot about, like I said, the number one um, precursor that somebody will complete suicide is an attempted suicide before. And we just talked a lot about suicide in this class. And I learned a lot in this class. And I watching Mackenzie, like all of this is running back to me. And I'm like, we need to get this girl to the hospital. Like she needs serious intervention at this point. And just hearing her husband say like, maybe you should talk to somebody. is like the number one thing that he can suggest is it's hard and troubling to me. It's really hard and troubling to me. It's scary. Actually, the word I would use is scary. This, I felt very scared watching this. I felt very scared watching this and then seeing those tweets from Mackenzie about how anxious and upset she was about the idea of this episode coming on kind of makes me feel like she's not really in any better of a place. And to be honest, why would she be? Because it's only been four months since that was filmed and four months is nothing. Oh, this poor girl. Oh, God. So when Josh says, well, you say you're going to do something and she starts crying, she's like, you walked away and... She's like, if you don't want to be here for me, then don't be here for me. And Josh is like, well, you really want to leave these kids behind? Um, Oh, I think I missed a line. Oh, okay. I did. After Josh walked out of the house and she was still kept sitting on the couch, she looked to the, she told the producer, she said, I won't do anything to myself because I love my kids, but I hate being alive. It's so painful and I don't want to be alive anymore. (sighs) Okay. Um... So she's, her and Josh are kind of just fighting on the phone and she's just begging him. Oh, this was the saddest thing. Just begging him to be there for her. Begging, begging, begging him to be there for her. And Mackenzie's like, well, then I just won't talk to you about it anymore. Oh, and so Josh comes home and I think she must have taken his annex, which like, good. I don't say that as a critique. She seemed benzoed out in this scene which was probably extremely necessary at that moment and Mac clarifies again that she wasn't going to kill herself that she loves her kids and that she will not kill herself because of her kids another red flag scary thing for me to hear is somebody openly talking about wanting to die and wanting to kill themselves but they won't because of this one thing just eventually you get to this point in your head where that one thing doesn't outweigh the rest of it anymore and we can't say a lie for just one thing as humans. We don't work like that. Oh, God. If you are struggling, please, please reach out. Kenzie and Josh end the episode basically having a fight. She, he says that he just can't sit around and hear her talking about killing herself. And she's like, well, I need you to be there for me. And I didn't expect everything to be this hard. And... Josh is like, well, you need to let me be there for you. And Mackenzie's like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I'm begging you to be there for me. Oh, God. He stands up to leave again. She's like, no, no, you can't walk out while we're having a fight about you walking out. (laughs) They go into the room and just, you know, we just have the mics. And Mackenzie is sobbing. You hate me. You hate me. And Mackenzie says she's desperate for Josh to love her in a way that he doesn't. He says it's too hard to open up. God, this poor girl, this shitty relationship, this fucked up situation. I don't know. There's no, I was going to say, I don't know how she recovers from this, but I do. There's, but it it doesn't involve Josh. It just doesn't involve Josh. There's no way she's ever going to get better if Josh is around. There's just no way. 
Okay. Wow, I spent a long time talking about Mackenzie, which is, I guess, good because nothing else happens in this episode. <laughs> Truly nothing else happens. I'm just going to quickly give a rundown on all the girls, but I feel kind of emotionally tapped out from that. <laughs> so Amber has Gary bring her to the airport to pick up Dimitri, which I just find they're too close for me. I don't like this. Whatever's going on. I don't think they're like cooking up, but I think that they are reaching... I don't know. It just feels inappropriate. It just feels inappropriate how close they are. Gary brings his Gary time condoms and gives them to Dimitri, who like really does not speak English. And the language barrier is really wild, like really wild. I do not see them last seen, even though apparently they're still talking, but he's not in the United States. And of course, Leah meets him because why wouldn't Leah meet the guy that her mom has been talking to for one minute? (laughs) She's like, it's really important that you and Leah get along, so I want her to see you all the time. It's a fucking mess. It's truly a mess. Amber has to drive him around, though, because I guess he doesn't have a license to drive in the United States. I don't really know how that works exactly. But I did find that kind of funny that Amber has to be the one to drive around Dimitri because we know that usually once, as soon as a boyfriend comes, she doesn't drive anymore. He exclusively drives her around. Which Dimitri even points out, he goes, you drive, oh my god, which I'm guessing means you never drive on the show, the TV show that I watch. (laughs) Uh, Really, that's it for Amber. We found out that she's a boyfriend that she cannot communicate with. And I think that will work for a while until they get into a huge fight where she's screaming at him, speak English, you dumb motherfucker. I can already see it happening. I can already see it coming. I will say, I guess he's kind of cute. He's just not right if he's willing to fly to America and date Amber. That's the bottom line, right? So with Cheyenne's segment, Corey's at the challenge and she decides she's going to take Ryder to like a pre-preschool, which is basically just three hours a day, I would guess a couple times a week, to get Ryder used to the idea of being in school because in the next year she's going to be going to regular preschool. I thought it was very cute. Ryder is very cute. Cheyenne is very angry. Not angry, but like sad that right when she drops Ryder off, Ryder doesn't care. She's like, oh, I just hope that Ryder isn't upset by this. And I'm like, girl, Ryder goes between you and Corey's houses all of the time. Like, I understand that. I think in Cheyenne's head, she's like, well, that's between me and her dad. But I think for baby Cheyenne, baby Cheyenne, baby Ryder, like she's used to her mom dropping her off. And I don't say that in a bad way. Like, that's fine. <laughs> I think, I think Cheyenne underestimated or under, what's the word I'm looking, yeah, I guess underestimated how used to Ryder is with being dropped off by a parent and is fine with being dropped off at preschool. It's so cute. She took off her little jacket and her shoes and then ran right over to the art thing and was like, let's get painting, bitch. Like she was all in. Ryder is so fucking cute. We get a scene of Taylor visiting her friends in Portland and let me tell you, Taylor is such a non-factor to me. I do not care about Taylor at all, and I never want to get a one-on-one scene with her ever again. Don't know why we filmed that. Don't know why we saw that. I am uninterested in Taylor and anything having to do with her. And I don't mean that in a mean way, even though it sounds mean. She just, what is, what was the, I don't even know who she fucking is. I don't know Taylor at all. So why am I watching Taylor over the scene of her friends? I don't know them. I don't care about this. Don't show me this. If you want to do a being Taylor and I don't have to watch it, like, go ahead, but no thanks. No thank you. That's my thought on that. Um, and Corey isn't in this episode because he is at the challenge. That's, that's it for Cheyenne. 
So Macy decides that she is going to let Bentley take the private school entrance exam. I guess all of his friends from wrestling, like his main group of friends, are all all going to be going to this Christian private school, the one that was brought up last season, that the Edwards really wanted him to go to. And at the time, Macy said no, but I guess now Bentley is showing, like, interest in it outside of what the Edwards say. And his friends are going there and he has a real reason. And they told Bentley, like, well, if you do your schoolwork and you do really well and you prove to us that you're serious about school, then we'll consider this, which I think is a fair trade-off. And Bentley got the highest scores in his class, which is great. Mazel tov to Bentley. And so they decide they're going to let him take the entrance exam. Um, Macy's still very hesitant about it. She wants the diversity that comes in a public school. I think she's also worried about the idea of sending Bentley to a school and then having the two little ones and having to send them there as well. Uh, it's a $12,000 a year school, which is very expensive. Um, I mean, it's like on, actually I would say it's low for private school, but it's definitely expensive. Like I could never afford that, but I know the private schools in my area. I, well, I guess it's maybe it's because it's a religious school. I think religious schools in general are often a little cheaper, but I know like the private schools in my area are closer to 20 to 25 K a year. Private school is insane. Who can afford that? I don't know how my parents sent me to private school. I don't... <laughs> One night my cousin Brian and I were out to dinner and we, we both went to the same private school and we were crying laughing at our downward mobility from our parents. It's kind of a, it's a whole story with his parents, but we were crying laughing at the idea of being able to send our kids to private school and how impossible it would ever be and the idea of doing it is so fucking funny to us that we were, like I said, crying laughing. Like, it seems so inconceivable to us that either one of us would ever have the financial means to send our children to private schools or the the school that we went to, um, which is a big reason that both of us are considering not having kids because we're worried about how we would be able to educate our learning disabled children. My cousin Brian is a fucking genius. He's so, so, so smart, but has learning disabilities. Um... His kids will be so smart because he's so, so, so smart and his wife is like 10 times smarter than him. It's crazy. If they had kids, they'd be too smart, I think. They'd have to be like one of those kids that has to go to college when they're 12, which never works out unless you're Ronan Farrow, I guess. (laughs) So Bentley takes the entrance exam and he does really well. So they're going to let him go through the process of applying to the school, which means that obviously if he gets in, they're going to let him go. It would be crazy to let him go through with this process if you were going to be like, well, no, we've decided not to go. I'm sure the Edwards will be thrilled. At one point, Taylor does say something like, well, didn't the Edwards say they would help pay for it? And Macy's like, well, I won't ask them for that money. And it's like, why not? (laughs) Macy gave an interview this week that said she doesn't know Ryan is sober because she doesn't talk to the Edwards about Ryan's sobriety and they don't offer her any information. I'm like, that is the unhealthiest shit I've ever heard in my life. Macy is so non-confrontational to a way that, like, truly makes me want to scream because she walks around acting like she's this little bossy bitch, but then, like, will not even peep up to be like, Jen, do you think Ryan's sober? Jen, I know you guys said you would help with this extremely expensive education option that you really want for Bentley. Could you contribute towards it? She's so mousy, even though she wants us to think that she's, like, a fucking tiger. She's a mouse, and that's something that bothers me about Macy. I'd also really like Macy to cut her hair. I really would like Macy to cut her hair again and to have, like, a shorter haircut. It's time. Macy, hun, cut your hair. (laughs) 
Oh, God. And to round out the episode, right? Did we talk about everybody else? Yeah. So, Kate. Okay. Here's another thing. I don't really care about Kate and Tyler's friend, Ashley. And so when Kate and Tyler's friend, Ashley's lying to them, I'm like, should I care about that? Because my care level is low, I will say. (laughs) It's Nova's fifth birthday. Happy birthday, Nova, you little cutie pie. And they caught Ashley in a lie. Basically, Tyler lets Ashley use one of their cars. And the rule is that, and it's completely reasonable. Basically, like if you take the car, you drive to work and you drive home. Like, the car is not for you to, like, joyride around. And I guess there are stipulations that, like, if you text and ask permission, uh, then Tyler says fine. So Ashley texted him and was like, hey, I'm going to a co-worker's house. And Tyler's like, okay, that's fine. He wakes up the next day. The car's not there. She's not home. Their rule is basically, like, you sleep here. You be here. You don't lie to us. Like, very simple rules. Rules feels like an overstatement, but I guess that's what they are. But very basic, simple, like... This is what we're asking of you to be at home at night, to sleep here, to, if you're going to use our car, to only take it to and from the places that you say you're going to go. And to be honest, I think those are totally reasonable. And so Tyler wakes up and he's on his way to the gym. He's like, let me just swing by her ex-girlfriend's house. Her ex-girlfriend is very toxic and they don't want Ashley to be with her. And Tyler swings by the house and the car's there. So he takes a picture. So then Tyler calls her. And is like, how's your co-workers? Where does she live? And they have a whole conversation. And then Tyler sends her the picture of the car at the ex-girlfriend's house. Basically being like, you're a fucking liar, dude. Um, Tyler and Kate are talking about the addict behavior that comes with the lying. Which, like, they're right. But I kind of hate non-addicts talking about things like addict behavior. <laughs> I don't know why. Just like, what do you know, Kate and Tyler? Like, what do you guys know about sobriety? They know a lot about people in addiction, but what do they know about sobriety? I don't know. It's like, yeah, you're never supposed to lie, but like, guess what? Like, addicts lie too. Just like, I don't know. I think it's this idea that like you telling a lie is addict behavior. Like, not everything you do when you're in recovery is addict behavior. Some of it is just what people do. And it's not really fair that addicts like can't, occasionally lie and like not be seen as like one like so close to relapse and like they're gonna relapse and like it's the end of the world because like normal people get to walk around and lie all the time and nobody's like well you're about you're close to death by that lie like and I say this as someone that really tries hard not to lie in my everyday life because I do believe that for me it's pretty toxic behavior but I still lie sometimes because I'm a human and I don't know any humans that don't lie I don't And it just seems crazy to me that, like, I don't know, that if every lie I tell is, like, me, like, getting very close to a relapse, no. I don't personally believe that. That, That's not how my life is. And I get what Tyler and Kate are saying, but also it's like, oh, my God. Just, Just be mad that she lied because she was taking advantage of you. Like, you don't need to be mad that she lied because it's, like, addict behavior and she's close to a relapse. Like, just be mad that she lied because... You're allowed, like, she's, you're allowed to just be mad that she lied. It doesn't have to be this deeper meaning thing, is what I'm saying. So, of course, they talk to Ashley about it, and I find Ashley to be very unlikable. (laughs) I'm sure this is not a hot take, but she is not somebody that comes across well on camera. I think she's very shy, like, very, very shy. So, she kind of seems cagey on camera. Like, she's, like, 
all of her movements are cagey and the way she talks and like she's always close to tears or is crying. I don't know. She doesn't have a lot of charisma is what I'm saying. And, you know, they forgive her because, as they say, Ashley is their family. And we know that Kate and Tyler forgive their family for anything. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's it for this week's episode. That's really all. Oh, there was a scene where Kate is sitting on the love seat and Tyler or like not. I guess it was love seat and Tyler like or an oversized chair. And Tyler, like, crawls onto it with her and, like, snuggles her. And I was like, huh, okay. We, like, never see them doing that. So that was that was a significant moment to me. But with that, I think that's it for this week's episode. Once again, if you feeling like you're going to hurt yourself, please reach out. Please reach out. You do not have to do that. You can get help. I want to re- once again read the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline phone number, one 800 273-8255. Get help. You deserve help. Mackenzie deserves help. We all deserve help. We all deserve to be happy. And if not happy, at least content. And with that, I'm signing off. I love you guys. I hope everyone has a good week and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.